Today's scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. In the first two weeks of this series, I've argued that the biblical theme of exile is right for us in this moment as we consider what's going on all around us. As the season that we're in means the rhythms of our regular gathering are upended and and really interrupted and we're physically distanced from one another. We're separated from our community and all of our normal corporate practices. I think exile is the right theme for us, and so this is the case that I've been seeking to make. Uh, The exile that I've been walking us through historically was the exile where people were exiled from Jerusalem into Babylon at the beginning of the 6th century BC. God gave his people over to the Babylonian Empire, and they came into Jerusalem, ransacked the city, carried a bunch of people away into exile where they then lived in very different circumstances. In week one, we looked at the prophet Habakkuk, who prophesied this exile and said that God was going to do a work in their day that they would not believe if told. In week two, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah and how he wrote a letter to those who were in exile, and he gave them a plan on how they might live and thrive in the midst of this season. And today, we're going to look at the book of Daniel, who was one of the, Daniel was one of the recipients of this letter that Jeremiah wrote to the people in exile. We're going to look at Daniel and see how he and his friends were able to thrive in exile as they awaited the fulfillment of the promise that was given to them in Jeremiah as well, that this season of exile would come to a conclusion and they would indeed get to go home. Uh, Daniel shows us some practices that I think are essential to thriving in exile. These are things that that they did and that they leaned into in exile that sustained them in their life of faithfulness to God. So we're just going to look at a number of practices from all over the book of Daniel and try and see if we might learn something from that season of history that we can lean into now. We're going to look at identity, community, prayer, and scripture. Identity, community, prayer, and scripture. First, let's look at identity. Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they've been ripped from their homes in Jerusalem as budding young uh, royals in that sense, and they were the cream of the crop and the best of the best, and they were taken from Jerusalem into Babylon, and they were put into the academy of assimilation. They were going to become Babylonian in every way, if, if that was the desire that Nebuchadnezzar had for them, and the dream that he had for them was that they'd be conformed to the image of a Babylonian man that they would serve as counselors and administrators in his kingdom. 
And part of that assimilation was getting an education in this way, a three-year program that they were put into. But part of it was that they would get a Babylonian haircut, very simple things like this. They'd wear Babylonian clothes. They would study Babylonian theology. They would learn Babylonian occultic practices. They would learn Babylonian language and literature. They would take these Babylonian names. And then notice this, because I think it's important, that Daniel... Daniel actually took issue with something, but it wasn't all of that. He took issue with the food he was being given. That was the issue that Daniel had. Now, there might have been no choice about the name they were going to be called or about the clothing they would wear or the education they were going to receive, but in this one area alone, what he would eat and drink, he may have been able to resist the empire in a certain sense. Uh, One scholar said it's the question of allegiance. For to eat someone's food in this context is to give allegiance to him. Daniel is prepared to accept his new role in Babylon to a certain extent. He is not prepared, however, to surrender his soul to the Babylonian king without a struggle. See, in the ancient world, sharing a meal with someone was a way to cement the bond between you. To eat from the king's table, then, would have been seen really as declaring total dependence and allegiance on the king. Dependence upon him, allegiance to him, loyalty to him in that way. And they weren't going to do that. They would not give to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. They would not give him their ultimate loyalty and allegiance. And they would not give him their ultimate commitment that they had already given to God alone. What I'm saying here is that faithfulness in exile means living out of the identity of who you are as one of the people of God. They were living out of their identity as God's covenant people. They would not swear ultimate allegiance to an earthly king. So the first thing Daniel and his friends did in the circumstances they found themselves in, in exile, was to remember who they were. They remembered who they were. And they remembered whose they were. They were the covenant people of God. It's one of the key themes to their thriving in exile. They didn't allow their situation to define them. They remained faithful to who they were when, in effect, no one was watching. They remembered the story that they were a part of. They remembered that they are the people of God from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to their generation. That God had made a covenant with them, that he was faithful, and that they were to be faithful in response. The second thing we need to look at is community. The first was identity. The second is community. Daniel was not alone in his exile. In fact, in Daniel chapter 2, we see King Nebuchadnezzar has this wild dream and he calls upon all of his enchanters and magicians and the people who were supposed to be wise and speak into these kind of things and interpret the dreams of a king in this way. And they said that, uh, the king said that they had to come together and explain to him the meaning of his dream. And if they can't, that he would have them all killed. Now, they worked for him. They were his employees in that sense. They were under his authority. And he said, if you can't tell me what has gone on in my dream, you're all going to die. It's the ultimate workplace motivation. Daniel realizes that he and his friends working in that situation, in that division of the king's government, that they're going to be killed unless somebody provides the interpretation. So he tells his boss, he says, look, look, let the king know that I will come to him with the interpretation. Book an appointment, I'm coming. Now he didn't have the interpretation yet, but he believed that God would speak to him. Look at this, Daniel chapter 2 verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, his friends, his community. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So this story is a story about how God is the one who rules over all kings and how he sets kings up and removes kings according to his will. But I just want you to notice that in the midst of this, in seeking an answer from God, Daniel was not alone. He's not a loner. Daniel was not a lone ranger out there as a prophet saying, I don't need anybody else around me, thinking that he can do it on his own. He goes to his friends and he says, we need to seek the Lord on this. He doesn't forsake his community in the midst of exile. In fact, he leans into it. That shared identity that they had of being God's covenant people led them into a stronger bond in community when they found themselves in exile. Daniel might have been in exile, but he was not alone. So Christ City, can I press in for a moment? You, who have had your identity formed as the covenant people of God, are not alone in this season. If you have isolated yourself, I want to caution you that you will have a very difficult time thriving in isolation. We are the community of God's people, not individuals, but a community comprised of individuals who have been united together by the person and work of Jesus. And you knew this was coming, if you've been paying attention to anything I've said over the last few weeks. If you're not yet experiencing that community of the church of Jesus in this season of exile and fragmentation and isolation where we can't gather together the way that we normally do, if, if you have not yet joined a house church online, can I encourage you to do so? You will not thrive in exile if you try to thrive alone. Do not disregard the importance of community in a time of isolation like this. If you need help joining one, just send me an email, brett at christcitychurch.ca. If you need help joining one, go to christcitychurch.ca, select South Vancouver as your church, and go and look at House Church Online. We've got 21 house churches online. We've got, I think, 17 of them still accepting new members. Go find one that's close to you, join that house church, and connect with them. And you go, this is weird. They're going to be strangers. I might not know them. What if somebody's weird? Yeah, good luck. Have you seen my group? All of us are strange, but we're all united together by something that transcends that. We are united together by something stronger, someone stronger, than anything that could ever separate us in our differences. This is the nature of the church of Jesus Christ through the ages, and it indeed is the nature of the church of Jesus Christ today. Join a house church online, please. Third, prayer. Identity, community, and prayer. Daniel had, at this time in his life, been promoted to the high ranks of the king's palace. He'd been promoted several times, and some of his peers did not like that. But because of his great integrity, they couldn't trap him in a situation where they could push him out of office or get him relegated to some other division of the government. They couldn't do that because of his great integrity. But what they knew they could do was count on his faithfulness to seek his God. So they set in motion a plan to trap him in seeking God, whereby they could then get him killed. So they had the king sign an order that anybody caught praying to anybody other than the king, that that person would have to be thrown into a den of lions. It says this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God 
as he had done previously. Listen, he was not flaunting his prayer life in the face of this strange religious environment that he found himself in. It wasn't like he was going out to try and stir trouble in the name of serving God. That was not his purpose. Simply, he maintained his regular practice of his three times a day praying the same way that all of God's people prayed in that generation. You've got to think this resolve to continue in prayer was what sustained him in the midst of his service unto this foreign king. If you think of what Jeremiah said in his letter, he said, pray for the city in which I've sent you into exile. Jeremiah was effectively saying, pray for the evil king and the evil army and the overlords who have come and ransacked our city and carried you away into exile. He's saying, pray for them. Certainly Daniel was praying, giving thanks unto his God for all the things that God had done, but also he would have been praying for the city that God had sent him into exile. He's praying for these people and they're seeking to lay a trap for him that they might put him to death. You've got to think that his resolve to be a man of prayer is what sustained him, not only when he needed a word from the Lord to interpret a dream for the king, but it's what sustained him on a daily basis. And so I want to ask, do you have a rhythm of prayer in this season? John Bunyan said, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Corey Tenboom said, what wings are to a bird and sails to a ship is prayer to the soul. And the 16th century Protestant reformer Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. See, prayer is not just for the extraordinary circumstances of life when something seems like it's now beyond your control. Prayer is the lifeline that God gives us to continue our relationship with him whereby he hears our pleas, our cries, our requests, our thanksgiving, and our pleadings on behalf of others in the city of Vancouver and beyond. It's where he hears us, but it's also where he speaks. It's where he gives us the comfort and the assurance that we know when we speak to him, he hears our prayer and responds. So we need to build a habit and a practice of coming before the throne of God in a season of exile, just as Daniel did in his day. Identity, community, prayer, and fourth, scripture. Here's where we really see the effect of the letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles take root in the life of Daniel. It says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of all the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. See, the study of Scripture was part of the foundation of Daniel's thriving in exile. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, he, he gives a song of worship and he, and he proclaims a song of worship. We see it in Daniel chapter 2 in the response to having God speak to him and reveal to him the, the dream. Daniel prays and he worships in song in a poem and he, we see that it's just littered with references to the Psalms and the other prophets. Daniel was a man of the scriptures. Daniel was a man who had given himself to hearing the voice of God through the other prophets. This passage in Daniel 9 shows us that he was studying the writing of the prophets, especially Jeremiah, who was his contemporary, who had not been exiled, but was still back in Jerusalem, writing a letter to those who were in exile. See, Daniel was listening to what God had spoken to his people in the midst of this. To me, this is huge. 
the God who spoke to Habakkuk before the exile, saying, you have a problem with how things are going in your generation? Yes, I understand. I hear your prayer, Habakkuk, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a work in your day that you would not believe if told. The God who spoke to Habakkuk is the same God who spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah laid out a plan and a promise for those in exile that they might thrive in the midst of that season. Daniel, a prophet in his own right, is engaged with the scriptures, hearing the voice of God. Christ City, in the midst of the chaos that we're in right now, I just want to ask, who has the loudest voice? Who has the loudest voice? Whose voice resounds in your ears? Whose voice just sort of lingers in the thoughts of your mind? Whose voice is speaking truth to your heart? How are you receiving the words of God in this season? What are you treasuring? Are you in a 24-7 news cycle bombardment of bad news, good news, and uncertainty about how things are going to go? Or are you going to the scriptures where we hear God's voice, trust his promises? Whose voice are you listening to? See, these are only four practices that we see in the life of Daniel. There are many more that we could talk about. We could talk about his worship. We could talk about his fasting. We could talk about his service in the kingdom where he worked for the good and flourishing of the city that God had sent him into exile. We could talk about all of those different kinds of things. But these four practices that I've just named helped to sustain the exiles and it helped, they helped them to live faithful to God in a weird season of displacement where they were outside of the norm of what they would have experienced in their lives up until exile happened and until exile came to them. See, identity helps us to remember who we are. Community helps us to remember that we're not alone. Prayer helps us to remember that we serve a God who hears us. And scripture helps us to remember that God has spoken and we can trust him. If we engage our identity as who we are as followers of Jesus within the context of community, in the practice of prayer, all guided by the truth of scripture, I'm just telling you we're building a recipe here for thriving in the midst of this season. Now, these aren't singular practices that you can kind of pick and choose from as you want. They're actually all woven together to form us into what it means to be God's people in a season of exile. They're not for descriptors of things that we should do that are working independent of one another. It's actually describing the kind of life, a cohesive picture of one person who lives their life in the presence of God, who can thrive in any and every circumstance. And so we need to take all of them and work them together as a community that we might do well in the midst of this season. Let me add one bonus practice to thriving in exile that I think is actually kind of the center of the whole thing. When you move from Daniel chapter 1 all the way through the beginning of Jan- Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 is one big comprehensive vision. Really tells us that we need to, in exile, give ourselves to the practice of keeping our eyes on the true king keeping our eyes on the true king. Daniel thought the exile was coming to an end. He was praying this in Daniel chapter 9. He reads the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, from Jeremiah the prophet to say that there was 70 years. Daniel, when he came in chapter 1, was a teenager who had been then uh, you know, brought into this academy of assimilation whereby he was going to become a Babylonian ruler, and that he did. 
He lived out faithful before God, but served in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and Belteshazzar's kingdom and Darius's kingdom and then Cyrus's kingdom, the four kings that we see through the book of Daniel. We see all that happening. Daniel 1, he's a teenager. Daniel 10, he's probably in his 80s. We have a picture of a man who has lived his entire life, his entire adult life in exile, faithful to God. And so he thought that exile was, gone, uh, was coming to an end and that the word of the Lord of Jeremiah was telling him that those years had passed. And so he prays that it would come to an end in Daniel chapter 9. And, and it did come to an end. They did end up returning home to Jerusalem. But he has this vision in Daniel 10, 11, and 12 that sort of transcends the situation that he was in in Babylon. And I just want to show you what it says. Daniel chapter 10, verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. See, the final three chapters of the book of Daniel make up one grand vision of a king. And how when all other kings come and go and rise and fall and their kingdoms just pass away, There will be one king who endures and eventually rules and reigns over all. This king will fully and finally bring his people out of exile into their heavenly home. In Revelation chapter 1, the last book of the Bible, one of the disciples of Jesus named John has an encounter like this, like Daniel. He has an encounter with the risen Jesus. John has been exiled to the island of Patmos because he was preaching the gospel. And it is there that he has this visitation. Revelation chapter 1 verse 12 says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. See, I just want you to notice that Daniel saw a man clothed in a linen robe with a golden sash around his waist. So did John. 
Daniel saw a man whose face was like the appearance of lightning. John saw a man whose face was like the sun shining in full strength. See, Daniel saw a man whose eyes were like flames. So did John. Daniel saw a man whose limbs were like polished bronze. So did John. Daniel heard a man whose voice roared like a crowd. And John heard a man whose voice was like a raging river. See, Daniel passed out and fell on his face, which is the appropriate response in light of who he saw. And so did John. The man laid his hand on Daniel and told him that he was loved and to fear not. And the man laid his hand on John and told him to fear not. Here's where it's different. In Daniel, the man said he needed to go and wage war. In John's revelation, the battle is already won. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last of the living one. He says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death in Hades. See, in Daniel, the man said there would come a time when those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. This is in Daniel chapter 12. He's saying there would be a time when those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. He is prophesying a resurrection. In John's revelation, he is talking with the resurrected one. In John's revelation, he's talking with the risen one who has overcome sin and Satan and death and hell and the grave, and he's talking to the one who says he is alive forevermore. See, what is promised by the man in Daniel 10, 11, and 12 comes to fulfillment in and through the life and ministry of Jesus, fulfillment that we see in his life and death and resurrection, and we see this as the risen king who comes and reveals himself to John in Revelation 1. He is the risen king. He's the true king Daniel was speaking of. He is the true king Daniel was expecting. Yes, there was a return from exile in a temporal sense in the moment where they did go home from Babylon to Jerusalem, but in Daniel 10 through 12, Daniel tells us that there is a true king who is going to bring a much more profound return from exile than we could have ever thought. There is a true king who has come to bring us home. Keep your eyes on Jesus, Christ City. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll thrive in exile. Now, if you're gathered together with your house church, you may be gathered now watching this together via Zoom. You may be getting ready to gather. It's time to prepare for communion. It's time to celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything we would ever need to be saved through his death and resurrection. It is time to recognize that though we be in a season of exile, that our entire life as Christians is wrapped up in the theme of exile, that Jesus' finished work upon the cross and his finished work in the resurrection and bringing new life, (laughs) we can celebrate that in the bread and the wine. The scriptures teach us that every time we celebrate this, until he returns, we are proclaiming his death once more. We are speaking that over us. We are declaring in our celebration of the bread and the wine, the death and resurrection of Jesus, how his blood was shed and his body was broken in our place and for our sins. We are celebrating the truth that Jesus Christ is enough for our salvation and that he's promised to bring us home. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I thank you for the example of Daniel in the way that he lived in the midst of a difficult season and yet thrived in it because of the groundedness he had in his identity, the togetherness that he had in his community, the discipline and practice that he had in prayer that sustained him, and his lingering and working through your word to hear your voice. May that be so of us in this season and beyond, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.